so I watch people all the time. It's like, I, well, you know, what if I fail? I'm like, well, then you just get to remember it forever. You're like, that's not helpful. I'm like, yeah, you could just think about never having done it forever instead. Tell me that that's better. Mm. Tell me that, that you, you gave up. Like, go look yourself in the mirror and tell me you gave up. The whole concept for MOVE is M, make a difference. Oh, to offer up your time, talent, and gifts. And B, there's victory in the small things, and E, to encourage others. And so I started to MOVE. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the MOVE podcast. I'm Scotty Carlisle, and today, today, we talk to a friend of mine. We, okay, so acquaintances, but the times that we've hung out, I've really enjoyed his company, and he's got a lot of interesting shit to say. So I just, there's another $5. Every time I say the word interesting, it's going to a charity because I say that damn word too much. But, Constantine... Green, yes. How you doing today, man? Phenomenal. How you doing, <laughs> Scotty? So far, so good. So we were talking about a lot of things so far. Religion, business, um, what else? Geopolitical you... conflicts. Yes. Goodness. And, and you're out in Maryland right now. Mm-hmm. And you got a bunch of cicadas? Uh, that's, uh, I don't think bunches can describe tens of trillions. But yes, you cannot escape them. Tens of trillions. Yes, it is. I've seen the number. You see it beforehand in the news. Like, they're coming. They're coming. <laughs> the, the White Walkers are coming. Uh, but, the, you know, before, even two, two and a half weeks ago, there will be tens of trillions of them. I'm like, that sounds like a gross exaggeration. Oh my, oh, 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 they don't stop. <laughs> there are that many of them. For any of you on the West Coast, there are actually, obviously not tens of trillions outside my window here, but if it's the kind of thing where you walk outside and even with high-tech noise-canceling headphones, you hear it like you're right here with me. I've, I've been on the phone with people who are also outside and I take my headphones off and it's the same sound as with them on from the other side of the phone. Oh, damn. Yeah, it's, it's, there are that many of them. They're, they're that loud. There are that many of them. They're that pervasive. Uh, they stop. I, think, I don't think they make it up to New York. So um, think of anywhere that has real deep winters and I think it knocks them out. Oh, so. Wow. We don't have a deep enough winter, therefore we have cicadas. So what about as far as the, now you said you're from California, and how long have you been out in Maryland? Uh, uh, just under a year. We're brand new. Oh, so it's brand, yeah, okay. Yeah. I was going to ask how that transition is from the weather, you know. Interesting. Uh, so the, the summer, 
you know, grew up in northern Los Angeles. So the summer I'm used to is dry and really hot. So we got a bit more mild. So, you know, 95 or 100 degree days here instead of 115 up, up in Santa Clarita. And what wow. about humidity? Yeah, that's the gross part. That's the 80, 95 percent part. Um, I woke up this morning, had the windows open because it was beautiful outside overnight. Want to cool everything down. Uh, I woke up and uh, the floors are sticky with humidity. Yeah. And I'm just oh. like, it's it's the curse flat, curse flat. Every step is and you're like, why? It's so nice out. <laughs> what is this? It's not due, but it is due. It's one of those things. So I met you at USC and what were you, what were you going, I think, it, how long has it been now? It's been like three, four years or four. I graduated six years ago. Oh my God. It's been that long. I know. Dang, it's, man. I know it. I was every now and then I'm like, that was six years ago. I'm like, wow, I'm supposed and you know, that, that, and then the, the, approaching wedding and everything it's like wow adulting is happening aggressively fast that's, yep. that's coming in like a freight train <laughs> well what did you go to school for business administration with a focus in entrepreneurship from the marshall school of business <laughs> which i'm actually doing so there's that yeah i to get that. to use my degree now did it prepare you for the things that you've what kind of business is it that you have so I have a super magnet, neodymium, rare earth, whatever you'd like to call them, uh, business. I specifically focus on the tabletop gaming hobbyist side of the world, uh, that niche. But I also have uh, things for most anybody who needs some sort of neodymium super magnet. Uh, so I work with a lot of uh, crafties. People, I've had people making uh, fridge magnets with, uh, they made, did butterflies and they made them the fridge magnets. Um, I've worked with engineers working with, uh, some electronics of, uh, I forget what they were working with them, but they needed some you know, tolerances or other people who need some other specialty things. So I do a lot of different, uh, we'll call them projects with people. I, I, you know, I sell, um, I sell magnets. I sell packages of magnets at the end of the day. I sell things that go with them, super glue and, and pin vices and drills and needle files. So I see, you know, if you, if you're going to use a magnet, chances are I have everything you need to use that magnet in that application. Now, when you, when you said, I'm sorry, because I, you, you said tabletop gaming, what exactly mm -hmm. is that? That I, like you're talking about all this and I'm trying to hold on, but my, my brain's like, what the hell is tabletop gaming? <laughs> okay. So just think about saying, uh, cause this is why I started this business eight years ago. Uh, I think about eight years ago now, uh, think about saying eight years ago that you're a YouTuber, right? Okay. okay. Like you know, you're off your rocker. Like, what are you, what are you trying to do? Be a professor? Like, are, are you trying to be an actor like everybody else in Los Angeles? That's like, at least actors have, can get work, you know, commercials or uh, diff different gigs. There's actually like a bunch, you can make a good living as an actor. Uh, but, but saying you're a YouTuber eight years ago, it's, uh, that's comical. Yeah, that's out there. Mm -hmm. Like no one was a YouTuber now. So here's the thing. The reason I bring that up is, YouTubers didn't exist. Nobody knew they existed. And, and even now they're barely being acknowledged as a profession uh, at this point in time. Uh, so I sell to Warhammer 40,000, Age of Sigmar, primarily Games, or, games Workshop games uh, company. So tabletop gaming, think of uh, G.I. Joe's, 
accept, uh, make them artistic sculpture quality, mass produce them, create an incredibly complex game with dozens of books that's probably as complex as Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and then I sell to people who play that game Whoa. or those games in general. I'm a niche within a niche. Oh, wow. And is it is it like Dungeons and Dragons where you have different animals and, and then you can build different communities and then civilizations and that? Is it like that? So these games particularly are war games. So it is, it's uh, either mono y mono, primarily mono y mono. So there's- Now, is it like a standard chest where you have X amount of boxes and on my side and on your side and then we communicate and I, uh, you're doing um, your stuff on your side and I say on this box, do that and like that? Uh, so you've got a six foot by a four foot table covered in a uh, giant mouse pad that fits it with a super high detail or well, reasonably well detailed, uh, let's say cityscape or tundra or forest with a bunch of ruined uh, gothic buildings all over it that have obviously been in a fair few artillery bombardments. Um, and then you put between 50 and 100 or upwards of 200 of these uh, miniatures down that you've built and painted every last one of them. And then you take your tape measures and dice and you move them around the appropriate inches with the appropriate rules and roll the dice using all of your appropriate numbers. Whoa. So chess is two dimensional uh, in the fact that it is you know, an XY grid. Um, you can go up on the buildings and sniper nests and these things. Um, you can, you, you line of sight, you're trying to hide from somebody, you're hiding behind a bunker or in a, behind a wall to not, to not get hit. Um, trying to go pick up uh, objectives or trying to carry something away. So there are, it's, chess is an incredibly complex game that is, it's, uh, I mean, mastering chess is a feat in and of itself. If possible, master. If, if the word mastering chess applies, um, for the Warhammer world, I think it is. I, I don't know that it's this. It's it's different. Everything is different, but Warhammer has all the complexity of chess uh, as far as you know. The, you have different pieces and different things you can move. Plus, you can choose what pieces you're putting on the table to start with, um, and then your uh, movement is unrestricted. Uh, and then your uh, combat is unrestricted. You're just capped by va point values, costs of the different things. Now, is it typically a one-on-one -on -one, or is there a group that's playing in the same environment? Most, most are one-on-one. -on -one. Um, you're when, to, to set up a, a normal, what's called a Warhammer game in general, you're looking at two to four hours, generally. Oh, wow. So it's a commitment. Um, now it's a amazing commitment. If you're less interested in going out to a bar to drink and you're more interested in hanging out and having a, uh, I mean, chess, chess is a great mental challenge, a mental exercise, uh, a bit social, a bit mental exercise, a bit competitive release. So it's, it's a bunch of nice little uh, escapes in there for de depending on your flavor of, of escape required. Um, so Warhammer is all of that. Plus you can build and paint everything. So it's got a hobby side to it too. Not just the wow. gameplay. How did you get into that? I think when we were, oh my gosh, I think I was a, a, in elementary school and I didn't get into it, but we walked by a, a, a store in a mall in I believe Pennsylvania and Gettysburg when we were doing a, a Civil War tour, like a, a historical tour of a, a vacation. 
And we walked by this in the mall. And my brother's like, I want to go see what those are. Because that looks awesome. Uh, parents like, this is expensive. And said, no. Because it is expensive and worth saying no to a 10-year-old. Uh, well, a couple years later, cousin goes, we go over to my cousin's place, hang out with him. And he goes, you guys want to play? I'm like, yes. Because I think it had come up. So we play and it is as cool as we were hoping it was. I mean, you know, think about GI Joes, but forget the unpainted, marginally detailed, uh, generally mono pose, single piece things. We're talking each, each soldier is 12 pieces. Oh, wow. Um, and, and the, these, these are the kind of things that are, they have painting competitions for. Damn. They, that's that's the level of detail effort that they put into these things. So so take GI Joe and then make it okay for a grown man to be playing it. Basically, <laughs> it's the, uh, I call now, it Toy where, Soldiers where for the, Men. Where do the magnets come in? Okay, so remember I said the uh, there's no uh, weapon lock, so you're not locked into how you engage. Like your pawns attack in a particular way, or your queen goes diagonal, your rip goes forward. That's how it how it kills a, uh, another piece in chess or takes out another piece. Um, so. In this game, there are different, everyone's familiar with, you know, a machine gun or a flamethrower. Mm -hmm. So you can have, let's say your model has an option between, per the rules, you've got a, a rifle, a machine gun, or a flamethrower. Those are your options. You pay more points for the machine gun or the flamethrower than you do for the rifle. Well, you want to show the fact that you have that because you have so many different models. It's hard for everyone to keep track of what's where, and it matters because you, you're supposed to measure from those things. And you, if your opponent sees you have too many flamethrowers, they want to take those out. They need to know where they are. So normally you're going to super glue those parts on. Okay. That's the crux of the issue. You're going to super glue this on and there's no, you know, swapping that out is not easy. Instead, uh, you can take a drill bit, drill into the arm socket, drill into the shoulder socket, stick two tiny little magnets, one in each, and let them uh, hold each other on. And when you want to swap it, let's say you decide that that's not the, the right uh, choice anymore, you swap it out for a different one. Ah, okay. Uh, so that's that's the basics of where it comes in. After that, it comes in, remember I said you pay 200 models, go to a tournament where you have two and a half hours, uh, you're on a chess clock, you now have to move 200 models uh, five, for five turns and do the rest of your turn. So you're not on a clock. Going, um, so cool. you'll have movement trays. You'll put 20 models on a single tray. Uh, and you'll move oh. that whole tray of models at the same time. So instead of moving 200 things, you're moving 10. Wow. Uh, so what I do there is I have ferromagnetic movement trays, which is just, I have a uh, plastic filled with iron. And then I offer magnets for the bases of the model. So you, you put magnets on the base of the model that sticks to the movement tray. Now you can put 20 or 200 models on the table and you won't run out of time on a chess clock in a tournament environment, or you'll just be able to play faster on a, on a normal, you know, casual weekday night. Now, and is this usually, is there like a Zoom setup as well? Or how, how is the communication taking place? This is in person. This is a board game oh. at the end of the day. Okay, got it. In my mind, I was thinking that me and you are playing, you're in Maryland and I'm in California, but no, you're, it's a tournament in, okay, that makes more sense. Analog. Now, you can go to Tabletop Simulator and, and put this down on there, which, is ha which had a, a boom over the last year or so here. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's actually gaining popularity because we're all spending more and more and even more time this past year than before on the, on the computer. 
so more people are turning away from a computer looking for things to escape from video games. They still want to game. They still want to interact. They still want to compete. They still want to have some sort of release, some sort of escape. So they've moved entirely into this. Uh, they've, they've started finding these analog methods of, of Magic the Gathering in a card game side or Dungeons and Dragons or Warhammer. Um, so these games have become incredibly popular because if you're by yourself, let's say it's you're, you're, uh, you've got a lunch break and you have nothing to do. Uh, so you go and you pick up a model and you start painting it. And obviously it's a very peaceful, for a lot of people, it's a very peaceful experience. Um, so you can you hone your painting experience or painting mm -hmm. skills. So then, so you've got that to do. So you've got the hobby side. So you've got something to do when no one's around. Uh, and then when you want to go out and you want to see people, you go and play with your, your minis at that point. You get to go play a game and hang out with the people, a room full of other people. So it's got that, uh, it's got that local uh, pub feel. Cool. Actually, except you're not getting belligerently drunk, or or maybe some people are, but that's not. I've seen several. <laughs> it is not traditionally uh, socially acceptable to be shammered uh, at a local gaming store. Uh, <laughs> However, if I'm in my own place or a friend's place, I do drink. I don't drink that much, uh, especially because the rules get really hard about two to four drinks in. I can imagine. It's the the rule books are each like each each faction. There's a bunch. Of, there's like thirty different factions. Each faction has a you know has thirty plus pages of rules. Damn. So each each unit each model has a page of rules, and then the main rule book is another I think fifty or eighty pages. So. It's at the end of the day, it becomes sort of second nature. Once you, I've, I've been doing this for almost 15 years now. I've been playing since I was 12 or 13, I think. And the magnets, was that your idea or did you hear of somebody else doing it? And then you just. And... Yeah. So I, I was actually not the first person to do this. Um, it was my, I actually, so I came into this uh, magnetism eight years ago. I've been doing this for 15 years. I, I forget when I magnetized my first model, I was probably you know, 14, 15 years old, more than a decade ago. Um, years and five, five plus years before I sold my first magnet, uh, I was magnetizing models. Now, that is, that's just been a thing that's, that's been known in the community. That's sort of like, we'll call it hobby hacks. How do you get more, how do you make your hobby dollars go farther? Uh, because at the end of the day, you'll put uh, into some of these models, hours of painting and building. So, on top of buying a $40 or $50 model, you're then gonna invest five hours of your time, maybe maybe three to six, even, even more sometimes depending on the bigger models. So you're gonna put hours and hours into painting this and building and making it look as good as you can. And then after you've spent that money and that time, you now have to store it. Okay. Oh yeah. So if you wanna have all the different options, let's say you have 10 models or you spend a half an hour magnetizing the, the thing and a couple of dollars, and it's all in one. You only ever need three. Got it. So it's it's a you know it's forty dollars a model, so it's one hundred twenty dollars. Or you got to have ten of each because you want to have all the different options. That's ten times one hundred twenty. It's twelve hundred dollars. People just don't do it. So people will take to if if they're not magnetizing things at the, at the end of the day, they're either snapping arms off or just saying, yeah, that's not actually what's on the model. <laughs> wow oh yeah yeah no no it's that's that's uh that's not it that's it like then you know they have their army list and everything. but at the end of the day it's it's they call it it's WYSIWYG. what you see is what you get <laughs> so it, that's, that's, that's the crazy. basics that's the basic imagination thing the thing that i have done 
uh, I've got I've done a couple different things uniquely. One of them is I have uh, catered specifically to the to the market for the magnetization side. So I actually have a, uh, I have a Google spreadsheet that is public. It's on my website. It's right there at the top of the Warhammer page, and, and some of the other pages are eventually going to get their own. Of uh, it's got a, a list of tabs at the bottom. So it's you go click on the page. So you're looking for Warhammer forty thousand. And then you say you play Space Marines or Sisters of Battle or Demons. You click on the tab that says your faction. And if I've gone through the model uh, or someone has asked me to go through it, at the end of the day, I will put it up there and list out what magnets go to what parts of that model. Oh, cool. So you know exactly where you're supposed to be. So, And then not only that, I've linked from those to the listings themselves. So you, you don't even have to go search for it after that. You just click on it, add it to cart. Uh, See, so that that's, that's the basics of what, I, what I've done for the industry, for I'll call it the industry, the niche. Mm. Uh, that, that's my basic service. The other thing I've done is those fair magnetic movement trays. Um, I have had two to three people copy me and I think their prices are currently double mine. Uh, and they missed the boat entirely on some of the nuances of why I did what I did. Um, so. It's I've done stuff like that. I have these magnetic posable flight stands. So uh, if you want to have your model do cool uh, curves and banks, let's say you want to have a Star Wars model actually look like it's swooping. Uh, I offer this ball and socket uh, flight stand kit that comes with a nice sturdy acrylic rod because that's the next thing. The flight stands they give you are two millimeters wide. They snap under the weight of some models naturally. Like they mm -hmm. cannot physically support the models they are made for. So. I have this whole magnetic setup. If you've got a problem with the game, chances are I've probably solved it with some sort of magnet. Uh, and it, and I'm at 250, 300 different items at this point, um, including wow. specialty kits for specific models. So not only are we talking a niche within a niche, we're talking people who play a certain faction who want to buy and magnetize a particular model. I've made kits for them. And I found ways to make that profitable. <laughs> <laughs> okay so my okay so you have a why do i remember you playing the piano do you play the piano i do i've played for uh 21 years we're coming okay. up on 22 i think there was a a piano in the center of uh campus yeah that's well we were i think when we talked on one of the occasions there was a, a, a piano there and i was freaking blown away so the other thing, as you alluded to before, is that you're blind and you're so you play the piano and you're doing all these hobby things. So my my mind is going, well, how does that look? How? OK, when you're talking about painting the, you know, hobbyist, the painting, the, the little um, G.I. Joe figures. or Yeah. yeah. What, how do you do that? What do you do? Uh, so I'm actually not painting any of the stuff. I, I have declined the opportunity to paint as uh a bit too much time, I'd have to be on a, a magnification system that would end up looking a lot like a computer screen anyway, would defeat the purpose of painting in the first place. And at the end of the day, it's, I lose all depth perception with that camera setup. Uh, so I actually don't know how much success I would or wouldn't have. So I've, I've never really been that drawn to it. Um, however, the drilling side of things tends to be pretty tactile. Um, for the for the most part, uh, there are other things like you know the little sticky tech. Uh, you can take that and put it on both sides of the part uh, that you're trying to magnetize, and use that as a, a way to center where you want the magnet. 
Okay. Because uh, you've got to match it up on left and right. Because otherwise, if it's right. off, it's going to look really weird. Um, so there, there are a bunch of little tricks that you can do to make it tactile uh, at the end of the day. But the, the magnetization thing is a tactile thing for me. The uh, all, all of stuff is, is, fair, is relatively tactile. Uh, I do work with 3D printers, which are not super tactile. Uh, however, they are also tactile enough. They're, it's sort of a weird, a printer is actually a very strange thing because you put a very non-accessible thing into the printer, which is a three-dimensional object file, mm -hmm. which is not accessible to a blind person. Right. I have a 3D no. printer and I know I it has kicked my ass in so many yeah. different damn ways and I've spent so much time trying to figure these little stupid nuances out to do this, to get that, to make this happen so I can, so I'm able to do that. And I'm just, I'm just curious, how the hell do you do it? What do you, do you have somebody that does, that, that, that slices the file or how do you, how? So I started and uh, actually had a, a workshop. I actually had people helping out. I, I had employees for a little while okay. uh, for let's say seven, eight months. Um, over that, I more or less learned enough to figure it out. Um, at that point there, I had what I needed. Um, it helps for the most part. So I tend to print the same things at this point, uh, for the most part. Um, I, I'm more or less in the manufacturing at this point with the printing side of things. I'm not necessarily doing a ton of prototyping. Um, but so on the manufacturing side, uh, you know, it's, it's, I print the movement trays, they're flat. So it's a relative, so I don't have to do anything. I don't have to position the model on the printer side and do anything funny with it, make sure that it's supported correctly and all these other things. Um, that part is, it's taken out of the equation for me. If I do need something like that, I love my fiance and she is very uh, good at being my eyes. And every now and then she gets a call from upstairs and goes, and it sounds something like, Ashley, I need my eyes. <laughs> She, she just says, okay. Uh, that's great, man. <laughs> but, but after that, it, it's actually a surprisingly uh, accessible format. So you take an unaccessible thing, completely inaccessible. Like I, I can't tell the features on a, a thing. I will put things completely upside down and it's like, whoops, messed that one up. Mm -hmm. um, but you take an unaccessible thing and out comes something that is perfectly tactile. Three-dimensional object, physical thing I can feel, I can get up close to. Um, and from there, I've always been kind of a material science junkie. Um, I've always been the one that it's it chemistry was was the subject that I that I aced for absolutely nothing uh, in high school. Um, and, it, and it's always been like that. It's, it's always been sort of um, the, the chemical and, and some of the material sciences it has always been kind of my my like, if I had more eyes, I'd, ha I'd be a med scientist in the backyard with a lab kind of thing. <laughs> um, don't put it past but, you <laughs> i i've cracked jokes i'm like ash i really want a lab and she's like, no no lab i can totally i can totally see you in it man <laughs> i would have so much fun i would have absolute oodles of fun just like what does this do uh but but that background has been really helpful because i can see what the result is with the printer like i can feel it um and after a relatively short period of time, diagnosing the problem became second nature. Hmm. Um, and after that, like it, it's because at the end of the day, the, the plastic is melting and it, melting in particular ways. And it tells you, it tells you a story of how it was formed. Uh, and if you've seen enough, if you can, 
if you can equate it to other things you've seen in your life, or you can equate it to just even the, the other things you've printed, you can start piecing together the story of what happened when it was printing, even though you couldn't see the whole time. You have no idea what, what went wrong, but you can piece together why it went wrong and how to fix it. Uh, sometimes how to fix it. Otherwise, you talk to your buddy and go, I know this is what's wrong, but I don't know how to fix it because I don't know what it's called. Uh, and then he tells you about two weeks ago and you finally fix one of your last gripes. <laughs> it actually just came in an update, a software update, my ability to fix that, I think in March, uh, ironically. So I've been grumpy about this for like two years now, one or two <laughs> years. And uh, finally, and I go like, he sees one of my, my parts. He goes, oh, like, why aren't you using this? And I'm like, using what? He goes, you know, it's, it's monotonic's uh, in, or top top pattern. I'm like, what's monotonic? Because mm -hmm. it's it's the thing that that's made for your printer with your site with your setup with your parts. And I go, oh, <laughs> and it just came out. I'm like, okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad it wasn't just me because I've been kind of like I was accepting this for the longest time. So it, it's very much a tactile thing. It, it's the ability to produce tactile objects. So my question is on the on the day to day. Like, <clears throat> what I love about talking to you is. You are doing some amazing shit, man. And the fact that, you know, some people say that being blind would be a disability. Um, and maybe in certain occasions, but, but, sh but dude, it's like, I don't think it's stopped you from doing a damn thing. And, and I feel like it's probably enhanced your understanding. And I, I don't know what, what is your, what is your take on, <clears throat> would you call it a disability or what, what is, let's talk about that for a second. So I call it a disability because I would still love for stem cell research to fix me. Fix me. Uh, and I very much appreciate Steve Wynn's uh, donation of I believe, $27 million to, I believe it's the University of Michigan for their Stargardt's research project. So at the end of the day, it does inhibit my ability to cross the street safely. So were you born this, my ability to find did, was it, did you become blind after or were you have you always been blind or how did that happen juvenile macular degeneration and many people probably recognize macular degeneration it's it's kind of an a generally older person's uh, eye, eye degeneration disease uh that we were let's see i think so parents tell me it was about i actually kind of remember some of the uh, the things where I, was, I remember tripping over parking bumpers at about five years old Maybe four, maybe a little bit before five. Uh, so five years old, uh, uh, diagnosed legally blind. Six years old, they figured out what it was. Um, it's been it was a slow decline from then until about junior high school, uh, maybe a little bit into high school. Uh, but juvenile, so relatively stable. Uh, college had a nasty little uh, had a conversation with my brother, and we're just like he's. He, he looks at me for what happens to him next. Cause so he actually, I was early onset, obviously, you know, five to six years old, really. Um, he was fully sighted until 11 years old. Oh, wow. Um, now I have much less than he does. Uh, and he has much more than me, but I would not pick his decision because I don't know what I'm missing. He does. Right. It is. I, I think his is much more of a disability than mine for that, at least uh, psychologically. Yeah a bit more traumatic to, to be from going from a very athletic family, hitting a pitched ball at four years old, by the way, was my brother's thing, which is a feat in of itself in general. And then yeah, that no kid to, to be blind later, but. And this is your um, younger brother? Older, older. Older brother. Okay. So I get to college though. And I want to say junior year, 
So third year in, uh, I start hitting things. I start hitting poles that I've been walking past for the last two and a half years. I start running into things. And I was, I, you know, I called my brother, my cares and I, there's, I don't know what's going on with my site, but I'm running into stuff and things. I had to change the magnification of my computer from like eight to 10. Right? like, I had to go up like one magnification level because I don't think it had nine, but like I had to increase my magnification, which I haven't done since high school. And in you know, the past six years, because that's sort of a metric I kind of gauge it by now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started hitting things that I knew were there because I thought that I, I didn't trust, you don't trust your instincts. So you you don't necessarily want to walk a half mile sidewalk with your eyes closed, but it's, it's, you know, where the, the, uh, the signs are, you know, that there are like three of them in a row, but you don't know the precise foot that they are. Right. It's, but that's the last foot that matters, especially with bicyclists on, on campus at SC. Yeah. Good point. But so at that point there, I go into the doctor, I doctor a year or two later, I wait a minute, but because we were freaking out that I was losing more sight. And he goes, no, just cataracts. I'm like, oh my God. And like, they're not getting any worse now. I'm like, that's, thanks. Damn, damn. So a little bit of, a little bit of a insult to injury there. Uh, a nice little like 20, 25% drop there. Uh, but otherwise stable before and after. Um, not worth dealing with cataracts, lose all sorts of uh, focal distance adjustments. So. But, it, but yeah, that, that's been the, the, the progression there of, of, you know, playing Pokemon on a Game Boy Color uh, when it first, whatever, in, in 2008 or something. Or no, sorry, in 1998. What am I saying? That's 10 years before. 98, 99. So playing Pokemon with everybody else. And then to having a little like magnifier with a little light on it a couple of years later to no longer being able to use it at all uh, and being forced to use Pokemon Stadium, uh, which would project the whole game on the actual TV. Hmm. And that, now, that progression you remember as a kid. Now, do you do any type of meditation or any type of visualization exercises or anything like that? Uh, <clears throat> I, I will do thought experiments. Um, I'm... I have a photographic memory uh, and it is a low resolution photographic memory. (laughs) Um, But I do, I do legitimately have a photographic memory to a interesting degree. So obviously memories are fickle, uh, but I am the kind of person who can tell you exactly where something is. If I were, if I, you know, I remember where something is and you ask me, I can tell you where it is and I can describe how to get there. Hmm. as if I were there like it, you can turn the lights off and I could probably direct you in my house from across the country uh, and get you to a spot on my desk to pick something up um, and then on on top of that synesthesia is an interesting one so conflation of multiple senses um, so all of this I kind of figured out senior year of college I was doing a composing class and started trying to figure out how I could improvise on a piano but not in front of a computer screen uh, and worked backwards and figured out that it's called like I, I've been aware of synesthesia uh, traditionally it is a note equals a color uh, and you can kind of figure out someone has synesthesia as, as a child because if you take uh, you give them an alphabet let's say about five six seven years old when they know what the alphabet is mm-hmm. uh, and you draw the, the letters in different colors they will get mad at you that you drew the letter in the wrong color hmm if you draw the A in red and it's supposed to be yellow, they'll tell you the A is the wrong color. 
Uh, so it's that's it's one of the expressions of synesthesia. How how many kids have that? They have no idea. It could be a half a percent, a tenth of a percent, could be five percent. Um, it's not considered a disability. The only downside is you can get kind of overwhelmed in for for me with audio. I am audio kinetic and audio spatial, which also helps with math, by the way, uh, which means like touch and sound and uh, like objects in space, like distances are uh, there. But there are, it's not really a disability. It's not really connected uh, to any sort of downsides. So no one's ever bothered to do a a study to figure out what the actual uh, population is like. And there's not really enough education as far as like, this is what it is. Uh, to actually go through there, there's no effort there's no you know there's no money in saying that oh my gosh we have all these synesthesiacs it's such a no it's, a, it's actually a, most of the famous musicians that that people can name throughout history were synesthesiacs uh mozart duke ellington of the 1900s uh he's quoted as saying uh when he was tuning his orchestra gentlemen gentlemen a little bluer please mm-hmm. which he meant a little bit darker to drop your tone down a little bit he meant bluer because that was uh, the darker tone is blue to him. Dang. So it, that that sort of thing is it's it's a it's for musicians it's a superpower, which is why it's not diagnosed. It's why it's not you know no no one's like oh no I'm a synesthesiac I'll have to take I, medicine. It's like I'm a I synesthesiac. Imagine, yeah, I'd imagine that'd be better in your in your benefit than in your detriment. Yes. Uh, now put yourself in a marching band and it gets a little bit overwhelming. But maybe that also might be a familiar thing. My dad doesn't like being in loud places either. So, uh, but it is genetic. It, it, it can be it can be nurtured, but it is also genetic because uh, I have my mom and my grandmother all have similar uh, synesthesiac uh, out uh, experiences. Like when I play piano, it feels like someone's drumming on my chest. Like it's it's almost as if I'm playing the chords on my sternum. Oh wow! Like that. Uh, and I asked my mom without any prompting. I did not tell her. I asked, I'm like, hey, do you feel anything when you play piano? She goes, yes. I'm like, what do you feel? She goes, feel like someone's tapping on my sternum. Huh. Gen- there, there are genetics in there. Now, do you have a piano in your room somewhere or in your house? I have a piano keyboard. I do not have a full acoustic. Uh, we, are, we have, until we buy a house and don't move for more than a year, I will not buy one because they are, horrific to move i think i don't know if the movers charge you extra but i think it's like 500 to a thousand dollars extra to move a piano and then you have to get it tuned Hmm. which is so you're you're paying 600 six to 600 bucks to a thousand bucks to move a piano every time dang are you now the 500 pounds that yeah i can imagine that'd be a pain in the ass um it's there's a giant metal plate yeah no but it's worse there's a like couple inch thick was an inch thick a couple inch thick iron plate that runs the entire height of the piano that's how they're so loud it's a soundboard it's it's i I, i'm gonna i'm I'm sure someone will correct us on the thickness of it but it it most of the weight of the piano is is probably that iron or steel plate just hanging out in the back there um just just kind of that's that is why they are apart from the fact that you know the rest of that's heavy there's a lot of wood it's it's a cabinet otherwise with, with some strings in there but that metal brick is just <laughs> and then everything is so finicky that you have to be careful with it so then it's an insurance nightmare for the movie company so you know piano keyboard got a great one uh, now how often do you play on it not enough uh once or twice a week 
at this point. Um, now you compose music, right? I haven't recently, but yes, I actually received an instruction and I, uh, and I'm fully within the, I do what I'm told territory. I'm, I'm happy wife, happy life. I <laughs> I have received instructions, uh, and we'll see if Ashley ever hears me say this out loud, uh, that and sees if I remember, that I am composing my first dance. Oh, ooh. Very cool. So I have about 14 months to figure my stuff out. <laughs> Which All right, synesthesia. Let's, let's go. <laughs> Kick let's it in. <laughs> let's see what we got here. I, I'm going to do it in complete secrecy, too. I, I'm not going to tell her I'm working on it. I'm not until it, she needs to know, will she know? So I have, so this is a podcast studio and I have some guitars back here. And then I have a, oh. you know, I have a, um, a keyboard and a drum set out there. And cause I wanted this to be a recording studio slash podcast studio slash photography studio. So I have like the windows blacked out. I have a bunch of rock wool, um, you know, different with uh, acoustic fabric covering it. So, you know, I have, I just have a, a bunch of, I want to be a musician. I would love to be a musician and to be able to compose and write. And, and, um, and so I have all of this, you know, I play the guitar a little bit. I've had this guitar for like 20 something years. It's crazy. I can't believe I'm that old, but I, I pretty much suck. I'm not all that great, but I have these things as a constant reminder or if I'm sitting here I can just pick it up and strum and you know before I just I wanted to be able to play the guitar because it was like an image thing I wanted I could see myself playing the guitar and I, I thought it was cool and I wanted to be able to do that and so I got this really nice guitar but never got good at it I just because I would it was so damn hard you know to sit there and really put your hand and put, yeah, it's so hot. And then it was like, man, screw this. And I never got good at it. Now, there was a point where I changed my mentality. I had it long enough where I'm like, you know what? I'm never going to be good at it. <laughs> so let me just try to do this to have a little fun with it. And, and when I changed that, it made all the difference. And it was like, and now I can pick it up and I can play and, I, and it feels good. And, and I don't have to be good. I can play different chords, put them together and and I get a feel get a good feeling about it. And that's so I have all these here just, you know, so at any point I can do that and and so um but I do I still want to write music. I just uh I just haven't done it. It's too many other damn things going on. It's an investment of time. It's you know, you've got to buy the you have to buy the software. Uh like on, on top of everything else. So it, it's time, it's money, it's, and then at the end of the day, I, I don't know how much computer time you end up with, but like I, you know, I run an online business. So I'm either shipping packages, staring at a broken printer or on a computer. Yes, exactly. I, and I have the same issue. I have, I have, you know, I'm doing real estate transactions. I'm doing loan transactions. I have, you know, the podcast thing. And then with all of these different pieces of technology that I have, switchers and and microphones and obviously computer and podcast setups and all of these different things, everything comes with its own set of problems. So it's like there's always some shit to do, man. And I'm never I'm never finished. Yeah, and and you know I I 
they're not quite convenient enough. I have a horn hanging out on the back of a desk over here on a hook, and I have a uh, a uh, Christmas present, super low harmonica, uh, hanging wow. out in a bin on the left, hanging off the left side of the other desk. And I, what I need to do is I need to have the horn out with mouthpiece in, within arm's reach of me right now. <laughs> yep. And I need to have the harmonica out of its case, uh, although that's a little dangerous with cats around. Um, <laughs> we have a toothbrush liquor in the house. Oh man. <laughs> so that's that's always a threat. Um, but I need to have them out and literally just so I can because it's. I, I broke this habit in the last year here, but I need to bring it back. I, I would just, you know, I, I got frustrated or, you know, I, I cleared out all my my inbox or I did something and I would just do five or 10 pushups. Ah. Uh, and I need, to, I need to get that, even with the harmonica, that's a, an easier thing to do. I just need to get to this point with, if, if you want to have some sort of hobby like this and be good at it. Because um, the thing is, I, I'm, I'm okay at both, mm -hmm. but I don't play either enough of them to consider myself good anymore. Um, like as a harmonica player, I wouldn't, I'm obviously no pro, but you know, some, some sort of amateur at some point, I could do the whole William Tell horse race overture or the, the, the whole like interesting part of the, the overture on the harmonica. I'm not sure what that is. I, so I have like seven harmonicas and, in, in uh, Indiana sphere. Do you know who that is? Uh, no, I'm bad oh my. with brand names. Oh my God. No, it's, that's not a brand name. That's a girl that plays the oh. harmonica and she is freaking amazing like I need to, amazing i need to look her up because yeah. I, I will say it's uh buddy green william tell overture okay uh, i won't do it now because i have no idea how the mics are going to pick up harmonica playing and i don't feel like making your editor clip that out <laughs> i mean no actually i don't give a shit why don't you do it anyway if you have it somewhere close because i'm curious i i i've played around the, with the harmonica too and i'd i'd like to know what you're talking about <laughs> let's, let's, let's see what i can do with the phone while we do this too all right let's, uh, do, we, let's we, take we an adventure, adventure right now <laughs> let's uh okay we're doing this we're doing it live nice this ladies and gentlemen this was not planned <laughs> let's see no uh you're in a you're currently in a glasses case uh no maybe oh we're almost to the right angle. Sorry for the seasickness. How's that? I love it, dude. <laughs> I have not played this in over a month, so forgive me. Awesome, man. Okay. Now I know exactly what you're talking about and it was that was awesome. So so the audio like was screwed up for some of the you know you can't it it went out, it faded out or whatever. But I got I I got exactly what that was. That's pretty good, man. <laughs> I, 
I would take that out because that is rusty dusty <laughs> harmonica pipe. No, that's the kind of shit I like, man, because that's real. That's real, and, and we're all trying to play the harmonica in life, and we all <laughs> we all suck in one way or the other, but the fact that you did it, I mean, man. I Well, that's kind of the thing. That is, That is sort of the... So I watch people all the time. It's like, I well, you know, what if I fail? I'm like, well, then you just get to remember it forever. You're like, that's not helpful. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you could just think about never having done it forever instead. Tell me that that's better. Mm. Tell me that that you, you gave up. Like, go look yourself in the mirror and tell me you gave up. Because like, it's, I, I, we talked a little bit about this before, but I, I'll think about my failures relatively frequently probably a little bit more than than is healthy the only thing that pulls me out of it the only thing that keeps me going forward the only thing that really that that gets you through the dark times that gets you through the rough times no matter how bad your day has been no matter how sick you feel no matter how crummy a, a, your uh, your second covid shot was was how can i make tomorrow better than today and what can i do today to make tomorrow better what, what can I do? I literally will go, come out of a trance and go, what can I do? And someone will look at me funny for muttering something under my breath. And, and what I'm not saying is, what can I do today to make tomorrow better? That's it. That's, that's how you, that's, that's, I don't want to say my secret sauce, but that is, I am not particularly fast at most things. Uh, I'm not particularly good at fixing 3D printers, for instance. Uh, I'm not uh, particularly good at making websites, for instance. Uh, but what I am is persistent over a very long period of time. Uh, I'm not even, you know, persistent necessarily over days or weeks. I'm persistent over years. Mm. And that is, that, that's, there are a lot of different things in life that you could get very successful at. Um, I heard something recently about Benjamin Franklin, actually. It's a very interesting description of, uh, of, of who he was. He was unremarkable as a child and a young adult, really? completely unremarkable. Uh, it, they never went to college. I, I don't remember his high school career situation, but uh, not no one would have looked at him and said, that's a genius. Uh, what he did is every week he set aside five hours to learn, hour a day. One hour a day would just set that out, not work, learn, just learn, go read, read, uh, I wouldn't even say the news anymore. The news has gotten a little bit too, too uh, opinionated and less educational. If you find investigative journalism pieces, I count that as learning because uh, you're finding out interesting things in, in inner workings of different people and, and different companies and different worlds. Uh, but it, one of my recent things was with the website, search engine optimization, yep. uh, which people come to me every now and then and say, like, you have some pretty decent SEO. I go, I do. <laughs> like yeah i'm like i just wrote the product description so that when people landed on the page like if someone was set this page they would know what they're supposed to be buying they knew where they were they knew what they're supposed to buy and they knew why they wanted to buy it and they knew that this was the right thing to buy because i don't like returns i i they cost money yeah piss people off so by doing that by making each basically just writing good product descriptions which is a very strange thing to have to say that, that mine are good uh, <laughs> but just writing reasonably well uh targeted product descriptions i created some reasonable search engine optimization so i have some reasonable you know google searches coming in my way from that not not a ton but 
enough. So I figured I'm like, I'm going to learn about this. So I went through as, you know, an hour, hour to read of uh, what, what like the blog article that everyone points to. I'm like, go read this if you want to learn about SEO. So I spent a bunch of hours reading that, going through that and starting to try and implement some of that and going back, going about to go back through it another time, just learning little bits of that. And I've already seen a little bit of cash return on that, which is the crazier part. Oh, wow. Uh, just, mm. you know, it's, it's one of those like maybe 10, maybe $50 extra a week. But in my business, I sell $10 items. I make, if I sell a $10 item once a week, let's say I make 10 bucks on that item. So I make $500 extra in my pocket a year. I got a $500 raise if I do that, if I, if I have that level of success. Got it. And, but the thing is like, that's, that's a single product and those are, you know, reorders. And if it's search engine, that's reoccurring revenue. So spend that time learning, figure out what your craft is, figure out how you're going to be better, figure out how to, what you can do right now to make tomorrow better. If you feel like absolute garbage, like if you are physically capable of doing something to make yourself more comfortable tomorrow, do it. If, if it is, if it's in that game, do it. That's it. That's like, it, there are days when you feel like garbage, you can't, I'm not fixing a 3D printer when I feel like garbage. I'm not shipping a hundred packages when I feel like garbage after a long week. I'm, I'm barely answering customer emails. That's, that's too stressful sometimes. Like it's just, I, the pride thing comes in there, by the way, I hate seeing returns and it makes me sad. Uh, so there, there are days I just can't take it. I'm sorry if you're, in, if you're my customers, just know what you, when you ask for a return, you're getting your return. It just makes me so sad that <laughs> it's a hard email to answer and open. I just, I, cause even if, even if they just ordered the wrong size, somehow I failed them. You know, that, that taking responsibility, I think is what sets apart people that are successful than people that are not successful. I have a poster on my wall here. It says discipline equals freedom. And it was from this guy, Jocko Willink. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a freaking badass. That guy, he, he has a couple books out. One's called Extreme Ownership, uh, but he was the most decorated Navy SEAL in Ramadi. And he would also teach Navy SEALs. And he was, my favorite podcast is Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss was interviewing him and asked him, okay, so you're teaching these cream of the crop soldiers. How could you tell which ones of those would end up being the leaders of the other cream of the crop of the other Navy SEALs? And and he had two, two main things that he said. One was humility, right? So if you didn't know something, to ask. Like, don't be afraid to ask the the little old lady on the side of the road, which orange to pick or, you know, something like that. If you see somebody that has some type of knowledge that you don't, don't be afraid to ask them what it is. Check your ego and be humble. And the second thing was take responsibility. And he was saying that when your when this person was leading a group and he had a wingman that was that forgot what he was supposed to do and zigged instead of zagged. And then on the after action review, they would ask what happened. And the ones that were destined to be the leaders were the ones that said, I should have communicated better in this way because he would have known to do this, not to do that. As opposed to saying, you saw that, my guy zigged when he should have zagged. And it was, and so, 
when you're saying that, I think you're I think you're in the right ballpark with that. I know it's it's not good to be sad, but but you're taking responsibility, and I think that's how you make things better. You have that power now, you know. It's what can I do today to make tomorrow better? It, it's it's the thing that snaps you out of the, your failure. It's you, you don't want to be sad, so work to make to be less sad. <laughs> like that's that's it's very simple. You can be sad, or you. Like, not not always that simple, by the way. Life is complicated. Nothing is ever true all the time. But at at, at the end of the day, with with um, I get less emails now from my customers than I ever have. Hard stop. I used to get even when I was a quarter the size. I would even less than a quarter the size. I'd get five plus emails a day. Okay. I have more than quadrupled since then. I can go days without emails. And I sell more than four times as much stuff. Wow. Think about it. Do you contact Amazon when you place an order? No. Nope. Right? It's, okay. I, I don't, if I did my job, I, and for years, I've, I've within, within, I want to say a year or two, I, I revamped the business. So I was really just selling magnets. And then I went to this full tabletop gaming uh, niche marketing. Um, nothing like becoming an accountant to motivate you to uh, be disciplined to earn your freedom. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> uh, but from that point, as, as soon as I started getting all these emails in, I'm like, these emails are killing me. I'm spending it. I, I'm working full time and I'm spending an hour a night answering emails. Uh, and what an email became was, was a cost. And if I got an email from a customer and they'd say, hey, I'm sorry, I don't mean to bother you, but... And I go, don't worry about it. If you've had to email me, I failed you. I didn't give you what you needed to make you comfortable with what was out there. You, you didn't have all of the correct information that you needed to make an informed purchase. And with that mentality, that's, that's I think we, like we talked much earlier about the, the magnetization chart of every single model. Like I'm, I'm trying to go through, and I know we've got thousands of models. I'm, I don't expect to ever finish it, but a chart of all the, of as many models I can with magnets to go to them, the most commonly asked ones. When someone asks me a question, what do I do for X? Like how, what magnets do I put on this? Obviously that's popular enough for someone to take the time to email me. So I go take that, put it on the website. I now save myself, you know, maybe one email every month. Maybe sometimes it's five emails a month. I was, I was getting, you know, at, at times a couple of emails a day about the same kit question. So you know what I did? I took that kit, took a picture of it, slapped it right on the product, put it at the top of the page. Mm. Emails disappeared. Stop getting customer emails. Mm. If you if you go the other way of it, of the you know that do you see that my guy zigged instead of zag, right? You, you do that way. Uh, then you know my customers are dumb and they didn't look through the product pages or they didn't search. And it's like no, you didn't present it to them in a way that they could find it. You didn't present it in an organized fashion. You, you, the business owner, have more work to do on organizing. Like I have done, I, I swear it's 10% of my year's hours are on organizing my website. Wow. And, and you know, doing things related to, uh, uh, they'll call it customer funnel, the purchasing funnel. And I call it just making sure you can find what you came for. Like you, you came to my website to buy something from me. I'm, my job is now to deliver you the thing you were looking for. And the, 
in the quickest fashion possible. So if I have, if I could do that, then you don't email me and I spend less time doing it and I can sell to more people. I can make more money and I can develop more products and, and ship more packages with that time that I would have spent answering the same question five times a day. That makes sense. Now that, that's, that's life in general, by the way, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> what, what can I do today to make tomorrow better? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put this product up top with a better picture. So when you get emails, how does it work? Do you, okay. Is it, does it speak to, is it text to speech? Is that how that, how, how do you have your technology room set up? So you can like, for example, you set up, so we're on zoom right now. So, so how, yeah. Right. Like, uh, so I, um, I can do it on my phone. So voiceover on iPhones is uh, generally considered superior to Android for the visually impaired. So if you go, I was in, I actually didn't realize this. I got a guide dog uh, back in 2015, just retired her after six years of service. She is living her best life in Manhattan Beach oh, cool. uh, where she's camping in Manhattan Beach. She is having a absolute blast. Uh, I'm a little bit jealous, okay. uh, a little bit of life upgrade. Yeah, she gets to play with two other guide dogs. She gets to run around the surf, catching uh, catching tennis balls. Like she's having a ball. But um, so when I went to guide dog school, you find out that everyone has iPhones. They're all blind. Uh, so guide dog school is a multi-week experience. Uh, you go over there and they, they train you how to work with your dog and make sure everything's good to go. Uh, lots of training that go back and forth between the dog and the owner and learning each other. Um, it's, it's a parent. It really, it's, it's like a, a miniature marriage. Uh, they have opinions. You have a leash. Um, they they're very smart animals. They're very capable. It's it's a very it, it's they they are dogs, but barely in some ways. Like they very much act like a dog, but barely. But that experience was is um, so iPhones all have voiceover built in them. You go into your settings. You open up any of these iPhones. Open up settings. Go scroll down. Probably the second page. Click accessibility voiceover. Don't turn it on because you probably won't be able to figure out how to turn it off for about five or 10 minutes. Uh -huh. uh, but that will then read most everything that is text on your phone. Wow. So you open up your mail app, you open up Outlook, whichever one you prefer, and it'll actually read through the emails. Uh, it reads by paragraph. You can set it to read by line. You can also swipe word per word. You can even have it spell things. Um, it'll try and describe photos with uh, some simple photo recognition algorithms. Um, so there's some very funny ones when people have Warhammer models and it goes, shoes, close up in a fridge, cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like a battlefield. <laughs> or, or my favorite one is, um, is uh, bugs outside. And it's that like, it's this, the space bug army. I'm like, wow, they figured out their bugs. <laughs> uh, That's but, funny. So, so voiceover. Wow. Yeah, I, I did not realize, like, you know, I, a funny way I got into selling uh, or to, to using I, uh, Apple products in general, because I was on flip phones uh, with, you know, some expensive voiceover software. Uh, oh my gosh, Samsung had a flip phone back in, let's call it 2006. And it actually read things to you. You oh. would scroll up and down the menu and it would read, honest to God. <laughs> Which is crazy. I, like I understand now that that's that's very built into all these devices. But then this is this is 15 years ago, just natively built into this device. It had a good voice assistant, and then they just killed it. 
we were like we use those phones for as as you know teenagers for probably three or four years till it just stopped working obviously uh and and had to downgrade on, our, on the assistive technology side of things but uh, the way i got into iphone was in college i think i still had a flip phone at this point um i was uh drop shipping ipod touches at that point in time so i'd sell them on ebay for somebody huh. uh and it was an interesting situation stopped after a very short period of time but i actually bought one uh and i because i you know I, I read somewhere that they had their voiceover was pretty good because i know ipod nano did the same sort of thing read through the menu and i want to see i, I want to see what voiceover is like within about a week i left my laptop at home and went to class with a bluetooth keyboard in my ipod to take notes whoa yeah that is just like chuck the laptop out the door voiceover destroys this I had a single headphone in so I could hear the voiceover you know, without anyone you know else hearing it. I, you know, I don't, I don't think the professor was worried with the blind guy showing up with a full up like you know, portable Bluetooth keyboard and an iPod touch. Uh, I, I probably did. question it like, what are you doing, son? <laughs> Not having I think some idea. people asked. Well, I think some people at I think one or two professors close to me like, oh, what you doing with your iPod there? I'm like, I, I'm taking notes because like it's, you know, voiceovers. They're they more they weren't asking what game I was playing on my iPod. They were asking what I was like, 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 why did I, why did I chuck the laptop basically immediately? I'm like, because the screen is just in the way, but voiceover is king. Like, as there's, there's, it just it reads everything you need it to read. It works how it's supposed to work. It continues to read everything it's supposed to read the whole time. It, it's just, it's reliable. Hmm. It's reliable. It's consistent. Does the job. And, and then on top of it, you know. I had the uh, the Dell Latitudes. I don't know if you've seen those. They're just these behemoths of metal casing with the extended battery. I think this thing was like 15 pounds or something insane. Oh, yep, yep, I've seen those. So you got this meaty laptop with you, or you just like stuff a foldable portable Bluetooth uh, keyboard in your pocket with an iPod touch, and then a water bottle strapped to your belt, and you go to class. And that's it. <laughs> no, that was. But so that's why I figured out voiceover is a thing. So, okay, so I've got voiceover as my my primary, uh, obviously I'm on my phone and with a small business and everything can control a bunch of things. I actually do my shipping from my phone uh, because I walk around pick and packing stuff with voiceover and I need to hold my phone and pick items one at a time because the orders are complicated. Well, I would imagine the orders, but also the inventory and where you're storing each piece and how that would look. Well, it, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle off numbers here. So and I and the point is to overwhelm people. It's it's um so I have I have magnets of every size, not not quite, but you'll get an order and it'll have uh 100 pieces one millimeter by half millimeter, 100 pieces one millimeter by one millimeter, 100 pieces 1.5 by one, 100 pieces two by two, they'll skip the two by one, 100 piece three by three, 100 piece uh four by one. And you have to pick and pack that order. And you've got, so you've got the one by one, the one by the one by 0.5. Then you need to not give them two by ones. You need to give them two by twos. Otherwise you get an email and you got to reship them <laughs> the magnet. Okay, so hold on. I know, so my bachelor's degree is in logistics and then I spent time in a distribution center in a warehouse storing shit. And yeah. there's problems when you're looking at things and people make mistakes. So, yes. so I'm just, it just hit me like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, this is it, okay. So I've, I've hired people to ship for me because I'm like, I'm frustrated with shipping. Uh, I'm doing it too slow, was expanding to other things, ended up trimming down, 
becoming more and more efficient after hiring those people. I basically hired people, learned things from them, had time to get rid of a bunch of other time commitments, automate things, and then uh, was trimming people and moving across the country and then COVID slammed in. Uh, so I mm-hmm. went back to a team of one all at the same time, which was a, a fascinating disaster. But okay, so I have had other people and I had a, uh, I had a girl shipping for me and she's just like, wait, what? <laughs> the first time shipping for me? And she's just like the first time I'm like, here. I'm like, I know this is literally nothing but a wall of numbers to you, but they're different. It's not a barcode. Like there are specific numbers that matter in here. It is, uh, so the, the way it's organized is you go, I, I, I can, I generally have three. So I'll have a one millimeter or I'll have a two millimeter magnet and I have a two by one, a two by two and a two by three. So it's the same width, but it's different heights. So it's thinner or thicker. Okay. Um, so I'll have, I have, uh, so three of each magnet basically. And I have shelves that can hold six of them. So I'll put the one millimeter magnets and the two on the same shelf. Okay. So then you'll go the two, the two by one, the two by two and the two by three. So in a grid wall position, the two by ones in spot four, two by two is spot five, two by three is spot six. Okay. That's on the first shelf. Then you go down a shelf and we go to the uh, 2.5 by one, the 2.5 by two, the 2.5 by three, that's spot one, two, three. Three by one, three by two, three by three, that's spot four, five, six. Now, but do you feel when you when you get them, do you do you feel the, or is there braille on it so you can, or how, I mean, how do you differentiate? Blindly, absolutely blind, no. Uh, (laughs) but actually so this is actually where being incredibly tactile helps you can hand me a model you can hand me a thing you can put a wall of magnets behind me or in front of me doesn't matter i don't care where they are you hand me the model i take it in one hand i reach out with the other one oh and i do this at conventions i reach over the wall of magnets and i grab the precise pack of magnets i pull it out and i feel through the package i literally will pinch the package and I go, that's the right magnet. I hand them the magnet and I hand them their model and they go, are you sure? And I go, you can take it out if you want, but it's the right magnet. And I take it out and it's a 2.5 millimeter by, by one millimeter magnet in a wall of, I, remember I got two by ones and I got three by ones. I got two by 0.5s. I got two by twos. I got three by twos. And I picked out 2.5 by one. That's your right magnet. And not only did I pick out the right magnet without calipers, I picked it out from the other side of a grid wall <laughs> at a convention where I haven't been sleeping. Like that, that is the level of, of tactile spatial awareness that, I, that I'm capable of. Um, yeah. So the way I ship magnets is, is at the end of the day, it's a grid wall. So if I'm looking for a particular magnet, that's shelf number two, spot number five. So I've got coordinates in my mind. So I pick, I go and pick it. And on top of it, I have a filter because I, I keep every now and then things get fall or get put in the wrong place. So I have a filter where I'll actually, I'll pinch the magnets and make sure they're the right size. After all is said and done. So I, I've got my little, my feelers going on to see what the, the dimensions of the magnet. And I've also got the coordinate thing in my mind of where everything's supposed to be. Damn. And so now the other part about it is I had, uh, I, we were gone for two weeks here uh, earlier this spring. And uh, I had my buddy who is an MD PhD come in and ship for me. Uh, we had to leave earlier, but it's just last minute thing, unfortunately, but uh, he was able to come in and over the phone, I could explain to him that when you see this product name, this is the shelf you look at. 
They are organized from smallest to largest, both left to right and top to bottom. So it gets get taller as you go to the right and it gets wider as you go to the bottom the coordinate system. Uh, and with about an hour's worth of help, he was able to ship for the next two weeks over 300 packages with one singular mistake because I forgot to tell him that one thing was different than another. That was it. That's his one singular mistake is I oops a daisy on that one spot. And he's going, I'm so sorry. I'm like, Greg, Damn. I would have had six messed up orders in that time. <laughs> you had one. Wow. But at the end of the day, that's, that's the organization level I have to have. And it, not only for me, but it, I had to do it for me partially. But anytime I wanted anyone to help me, they no way could have done it any other way. Because I've had people trying to help before. I, I implemented this level of, uh, we'll call it logistical organization. Mm -hmm. And it was almost disastrous for them. Like they couldn't, it was overwhelming and a problem. And it, it was slow for me and even worse for them. Now you have an inventory management system as well? No. Okay, so you basically your inventory management system is a spreadsheet in your brain. Uh, well, I mean, there's an inventory management system. It, it Shopify has the inventory numbers in it. In it. Ah, Shopify. I'm not going to call it a system, but um, I'm actually building in the process of I'm trying to. It's ironically hard to get Shopify to directly export to Excel. Apparently, uh, if anyone happens to know a good way to do it that doesn't cost uh, $120 per year forever, would be very happy and appreciative for that. Um, I found some ways, but they're like literally a $250 software license, which I'm sure only lasts two years and doesn't integrate with Macs because I switched to Mac because voiceover is better. Just recent convert. But uh, it, I'm building, I'm going to go use my, my big brain business degree and I'm going to go build myself an inventory projection spreadsheet because the website projection system can't account for things like stock. So it looks over the last three months, says, how much did you sell over the last 90 days? Okay, so that's how much you're gonna sell for the next six months on average. Like every every 90 days you're gonna sell this. So we're gonna you know multiply that up by two and then minus out how much you have. Cool. Well, let's say you ran out of stock of something in the last month. So in the last 90 days, it sees 60 days of sales and it drops to zero for the last month. It then just thinks that you're gonna sell one third less. Yeah, nothing. Rest, rest, months. Months. yeah. And it's hard to correct for that over 500 different SKUs or little bits. It's really hard. So it's been a, I've got to the point where inventory management systems are expensive. Yep. Uh, anything, anybody that's average has anything that I would remotely think is worth trying is uh, minimum 500 to $1,000 a year. Uh, and their, even their math is not going to be customized to the way I want it to be. I ran a, a warehouse for a little bit and, mm -hmm. and that was, and we were just storing, uh, display items and assets and we had a bunch of different things and I was inquiring on different logistic and inventory management software systems and there were some starting out over a hundred thousand dollars and I'm like uh, I can do a spreadsheet <laughs> I can do a spreadsheet yeah. you know but it's that's crazy man I mean a hundred thousand dollars yeah it does there's all kinds of bells and whistles and but still that's a lot of money honey yeah, that that is that's money you could have just put in an inventory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. well, and, and here's the thing for me, someone at my size, I I don't have a hundred thousand dollars of inventory. Like, 
you know, it's yeah. on top of the fact that, that yeah, these inventory management systems are $600 forever and they're probably not customized the level I need them to be customized because I need to be able to like, the, here's the craziest thing. I'm growing, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the last 90 days of sales aren't going to be the next 90 days of sales. They're going to be 10% less. And I need to buy a year's worth of inventory. So I'm going to be at like a third of the a third less the inventory I'm supposed to be at the end of the day. I'm going to have stock outages before I'm supposed to. I could have gotten better prices on my inventory if I had bought more. Uh, I can't program into a bunch of these uh, stock projection systems. The fact that I am a growing business, which is insane for a platform like Shopify, which is, you know, it's, it's the small business platform. It's nothing but growth. How am I supposed to, you're telling me you don't have a growth number that you can build into this system. That's insane. Like that, that is a complete oversight. It's, but at the end of the day, that's, you know, I can do a spreadsheet. So I'm going to do a spreadsheet. And, and that is, it's, I, I need to make tomorrow better than today. And I have stock outages that cost me lots of money. So I must fix that. I, and it, I've spent, you know, 12 hours so far working through some of the data, trying to piece things together, got some messy data in there, some garbage, some technical stuff, and we'll get there eventually. But that that's the that's the, the lowdown. VoiceOver doesn't... Mac VoiceOver on Excel is interesting. Uh, it reads the coordinate of the cell you're in and then the number. So it tells you're, you're in BC42. <laughs> yes, and you're like... And you're trying to like scroll through hundred cells and you're like, no, no, no. I just need you to say 100, 105, 32. I'm looking for a number right here. <laughs> <laughs> just please. It, it's, there's times when I'm faster at things because I've been forced to be. So I know all the shortcuts. So I, I, I aggressively memorize shortcuts for things. Wow. Um, it's, and, and you'll see it, there are plenty of people who are slower on a computer than me. But it's it's comical because you watch me fly through an Excel sheet, right? Just do, 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 all straight through, perfect, no problem. <laughs> and then something silly on like a website. Let's say I'm editing a, a a product page or something silly, and I'm like, I can't find the save button. <laughs> oh, the ironies I of just, life. The ironies. I know, and I, I have to call for my. I'm like Ashley. I need my eyes. <laughs> How'd you meet Ashley? Uh, okay, Cupid in Nashville. When I lived in Nashville for a minute. Oh, you lived in Nashville too. Mm-hmm. Just for a year. That was for oh. the accounting job. The motivation for making the magnet business go big. Huh. I okay. So I got a bunch of different things, but I so before I forget, I so I have an invention that is that I think needs a magnet, and so. Mm -hmm. I would I, I need to pick your brain on on how I can do that. So um, so do people do people reach out to you with any type of projects or that are not specifically that uh, that game that is mm -hmm. like hey I have this I have this project can you help me out is that something that you mm -hmm. do too? I have I had a guy asking for some insanely tiny maggots with insanely tiny holes in them, and my response to him is. I bet you I can find someone to do it. How are you? This is not cheap. Like the, we are talking one millimeter magnets with holes inside of them. Again, you did pinhead. I think smaller than a pinhead. Like pro probably the, the shaft length, the shaft diameter of a pin. 
uh, and he wants to put punch holes in those because you can't fabricate them with holes. And I'm like, uh, this is, uh, you know, we're, we're probably talking tens to hundreds of dollars per tiny, tiny, tiny little magnet. Like I, I will spend the time to find somebody if you really understand that this the, and, and are going to make it worth my time. Well, I could do it. Like this is, this is, a, I don't necessarily do consult. I, you know, I'm, I'm making money. I'm selling magnets. So, uh, but no, I have other people come in and, and ask for other things. The other engineers like, Hey, I need help with this. Or I've had people go like, Hey, I wanted to magnetize uh, some, some piece of my car. What, what do we need for magnets? And I go to a car and I'm like, I go test the magnet, see how ferromagnetic they are. I'm like, it's a Ford. So it should be roughly the same metal plank plank. I'm like, eh, you know, how much wind force are we thinking? Uh, I'm like, Okay, cool. Do you have space for these big magnets? They're like, yes. I'm like, get the big magnets, you'll be happy. <laughs> but so I get all sorts of stuff. It's I, I get, I do really get carpenters, painters, engineers. Engineers are the big ones, surprisingly, because and I think actually not necessarily surprisingly. So engineers play Warhammer. So someone will find me because they're an engineer that who plays Warhammer. But then they're an engineer and they're like, well, I know a magnet place and it's cheaper than a bunch of the other places, and the the you know, the dude behind the email knows what he's talking about. So it can help me out and we'll, you know, I'll make it work. I, I have a guarantee I tell my customers is, is you paid me to get you the right magnet. You didn't pay me for a particular magnet. You paid me to get you the right magnet. So I'm going to get you the right magnet. And I'll tell people, I'm like, hey, I think this will work. I don't know. So I'm going to send this to you. If it doesn't work, I'm going to send you something else. And we'll keep doing that so long as you're willing to keep doing that. And I think you're doing it with, with good faith. That's pretty cool, man. I, I you know, it's like I said, it's uh, in, a, in a way I'm almost selling a service. Yeah, totally. It's, it's how, if you want to magnetize something, it's, you know, ask, ask or see if I've already got it set up for you to, to magnetize something already. It's. It's, it's mostly focused on the tabletop side. Anytime I try and go out of that, it, it flops, which is kind of funny, but you know, know your customer base. <laughs> so I sell toy sold, I sell uh, magnets for toy soldiers. It's uh, my, my primary business. Yeah. Not many people can say that, huh? <clears throat> that was an interesting thing to say in my early twenties for what do you do for a living <laughs> uh, in a bar to, uh, to a woman? That, that was a very interesting, um, oh, I run a, a yeah, super website. What do you do? I bet the, the responses were just across the board. I can only imagine. There was very little, okay, I'm out, right? Like there, there's very little, oh no. It was, I, I would, I, I just, I didn't want to talk about Warhammer with girls in a bar. Like that, that's not the thing you do. <laughs> right. That, that is. I, I'm aware. I've been I've been in this for long enough. It, so my is an immediate deflection into what do you do? <laughs> and they're like, I'm a real estate agent. So tell me about these magnets. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> uh, and, and I'm I'm sitting there, you know, you know, get a bar. You're two or three drinks in, socializing with people, and and you are two or three drinks in explaining Warhammer to somebody <laughs> in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> yep i can only imagine man i can only imagine this is that that has happened repeatedly not once not twice i cannot remember all the instances that that has happened to me 
it's you know ask somebody what they do for a living and find out it's it's a did did I plan on doing this? No, I explicitly planned on not being in the magnet business after I started. It was supposed to be a side hustle for cash. I paid for all my fun expenses in college. It paid for you know my groceries. It uh, paid for whatever garbage I was eating if I was traveling anywhere. It paid for things. Mm. I mean, well, what more do you want? That's the whole point of a business, right? Is it supposed to pay for things? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it didn't pay that much, but, you know, allowed me to not get a job. By the way, for any of you on listening that you think that you can't start a business because you don't have enough money, I started the magnet business for $320. How did you do that? I bought, I went, uh, this is a thing you do on eBay. Uh, there are other ways to do this on the rest of the internet. I'm familiar with the way to do this on eBay. You go to eBay, you search for the thing you want to sell. Uh, some, or something similar, as close as you can get. This works with products that exist better than think inventions that you're making. Inventions, you've got to get cl as close as you can. You click sold listings. So you go down. If you're on the phone, there's a little filter. Scroll down, show more. If you're on the computer, scroll down to the bottom of the filters on the left side, um, and you'll see sold listings. If you can't find it, Control-F, Command-F, search for it, sold listings. Click that. Go through. Uh, people sell multiple things in the same listing, so you can click in and you can see every day that someone bought something. So you'll see a customer who bought an item in the eBay's history. This is all public, straight up on eBay, how many they bought, and if it was bought on an offer or at list price. And I could count how many of a particular, I loaded a search for magnets. I picked, I, did, I just searched for magnets initially, just in Neodymium Super Magnets, picked the first size that came up, searched for that a little bit more in depth found out that it was generating X thousand dollars of sales a year. I should get, a, if I, uh, I'm expecting to get my first sale within a couple of weeks if I lower my prices below theirs. Uh, as it picks up, I'm expecting to, you know, start beating them as a few weeks goes on. And you have no idea actually how much you're gonna sell and when, but you know, it takes at this sales volume, uh, if my price is lower than everybody else's, I can, I will, after a short period of time, be the first search result on eBay because eBay, uh, in, in other selling platforms prefer people who have better conversion rates with lower prices. So you can reliably get to the top. After a little while, you know, you're going to take up over the full market. So a couple months. And then from that point on, you can see how long it's going to take you to get your return. So I bought the magnets for a quarter of the price of retail. I needed to sell 25% of them to make my money back. So spent $240 in magnets, spent $80 on packaging and labels show up a few weeks later, list them on eBay. And then I get completely banned from uh, selling anything on eBay for a couple of weeks. Why? <laughs> no joke. Um, uh, so Bucky Balls, uh, magnetic little toys that you might remember them, Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the good old days or what? <laughs> yeah. No, they were 15 years ago. Okay. Sounds familiar. I don't know what they are. Little bead magnets. Do all sorts okay. of cool things with them. Uh, so... A couple kids swallowed them. They pinched their intestines, super major surgeries, super set stuff. But it happened to nine children over, I don't know, 50 million sales. Uh, so, you know, cigarettes and pools and cars. If you're going to ban something over nine, over 50 million, you, you got you to gotta start with cigarettes and cars. You really got to ban cars first if, if nine and 50 million is a problem. But um, so that ban goes into effect to protect the consumers from this dangerous product. Um, and that ban was still in place at this point, but the ban and including eBay's terms of service against bead magnets marketed as toys. 
little spheres. I sold disc magnets. So I was on the phone basically daily with some other Indian customer service rep who would go, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Greenius, you are selling uh, uh, sphere magnets and that goes against our, our terms of service and, uh, it, and those are toys and uh, you can't do that because it, it's dangerous to children. I go, excuse me, I, I'm selling disc magnets. They're like, no, it says right here in your title, it says 50 PCS 3 slash 8 X 1 slash 8 disc magnets. <laughs> Hold on, may I speak to my supervisor? <laughs> no joke I, I went out for two weeks and then i just said I, I just got all my listings pulled out i'm like okay i put up a new listing and i just didn't say anything <laughs> just started over well that just goes to show you, you know in business like we were talking about before we started you know the you have to triple your inventory and then all and everything's going up I had a perfect plan. Not only do I have a perfect plan, I have eight years to show for it. <laughs> uh, but at the start of my perfect plan, I got freight trained. My whole plan relied, revol revolved around uh, selling on eBay and I got freight trained the moment I opened. Like, you know, imagine opening a restaurant and failing a health inspection. Yeah, right. Losing your liquor license or buying a restaurant or buying a location, opening a location in California and thinking you have a grandfathered liquor license and find out that it's fraudulent, oh. right? Like fi find out something horrible, pick, pick your poison and just know it's, you don't know when, you don't know how, but you're going to get hosed. It's, it, um, I wouldn't sell on, I, I'm not going to sell on Amazon or eBay, by the way, anymore, because you're just getting hosed too much. I've been actually, you know, temporarily, permanently banned off of Amazon and had to write the saddest sorry note to Amazon about it. Um, after I relisted magnets because I saw somebody else listing magnets, so I thought they had allowed in the terms of service. I got hit with a band hammer a day, day later and I had to write a uh, apology letter that rings uh, way too close to what I heard the drinking on college campus apology letters were. <laughs> uh, like literally I'm so sorry. And I've punished myself. Like you, one of the things that they recommended online was doing some, removing your poorer performing products with a, with a higher return rate. You have to punish yourself for Amazon to know that you're really sorry. So it's one of the reasons I have my own website. And one of the reasons I made it big is because I just got so fed up with the eBay, Amazon it, collective, uh, just messing with you thing. And I go, I need to control my own ecosystem. I need to control my, I need to be a brand. I need to be something that people want. I need to, people need to search for me and to know me. Cause if I'm online and I disappear, no one cares. They're just going to buy from the next guy with a lower price on eBay. Some kid in college is going to come up behind me and just have a lower price and mess everything up on me. I put people out of business. Yep. I don't need to have someone do that back to me. But so on, on, if you want to start your own business though, this, that is, 320 bucks, buy an item that you know you can make your money back on. Go find how much they sell for. Go find, you know, eBay fees are a particular number. So you know you're losing 13%. You can go look at uh, USPS commercial rates. Do buy them online, please don't buy post office uh, rates in store. They're 20 to 40% more expensive. But you can find out how much shipping is going to be. You can find out how much the fees are. You can find how many of them you're going to sell if you hit the top spot. You can also see how many people are selling them. I picked a magnet with only five or six people selling that magnet with a reasonably high volume. So 
I wasn't that far down the page. Hmm. I wasn't on the second page of listings. I never was. You didn't have to search for me. I was just kind of there naturally. So you got to fill a need, which is there, there wasn't a ton of people competing. You got to find something that people are actually buying and then you can figure out how much it is. And then, you know, so what, eight weeks in after that, I had my, uh, I had, you know, another $300 in my pocket from that. So I take that and buy a, the same amount of magnets again as the first one, but I also buy a second set of magnets. Uh, new size and you know you just kind of do that you, you just one to the next to the next to the next and then eventually right. you have one and one millimeter and one and 1.5 millimeter and one and one yeah. and two millimeters <laughs> one by one one by two which one by point five one by one one point five by one one point five by zero <laughs> point five two point two by point five two by one two by two two by three two point five by point five two by one. it's yeah. it's <laughs> tens of them and that's sort of the thing here's the other thing that happened i didn't start off with the unique product line i sold magnets that i bought from a factory that i'm sure were also being sold on the other listings um the thing that ended up happening though when you're exposed to something for long enough you become an expert of sorts you take what you have and this is the thing that you mentioned earlier about the disability i cannot see for squad i'm 90 95 blind i have very capable fingers as far as discerning sizes of things, uh, which helps with this quite a lot. Um, I also am very, have very strong hands. I was a horn player for years, so I can separate very strong magnets. Magnets can actually get strong enough to hurt you. Uh, but like I'm very capable with numbers. It's a very easy thing for me to organize all this stuff, obviously. I'm very, very happy and in, at home with it. Um, so I can sell things online that is accessible to me. The internet is accessible to me for the most part. Um, I can manage numbers. I'm good with technical things. So I know what the difference between N35, N42, and N52 magnets are. Like I, I know those things are totally fine. And there's UN35, like all these different acronyms, all these different things that mean absolutely nothing to nobody else other than people who work with magnets. But like, I can remember all that. So that's, that's another thing I have going for me. I can discern the size of them. I can separate them. I'm good at finding out what is sellable in the industry. Uh, and then after all that, I play tabletop games and I know that other people like the things I have done to my own models with magnets historically. And I know no one is catering to them. I'm going to take all those things and combine them into a business because I now have a market with money who is interested. So I've got demand and I now have skills that make it hard to replicate what I do. Like so it's it defensible. Hard. I go to a convention and, you know, you're, let's say someone opened up a magnet shop next to me, drop their prices are 10% cheaper than me, same magnets. You're going to go to the guy on the, first, the cheaper one and say, what magnet do I need? And he goes, I don't know. I have them all though. <laughs> like I got them all right. Like, are you, what are you going to do? You're gonna like, thanks. You go over to me and you go, what magnet do I need? This one. Thanks. Buys it. Right, like who are you gonna who are you gonna support? Right, right, right. That that's that's the formula. That that is that's my moat, if you will. I don't have I have unique products that are kind of a pain to to make. I have unique products that are kind of a pain to manage. Logistics are a problem. Like there, there are all sorts of little things that make this a very complicated business. But at the end of the day, I still have a unique. It's hard to do what I do. Oh hi, hello. Ah. We have a kid in my face. 
we have a guest. Her name, this, um, everybody, this is Priscilla. Those of you on a video, we're rubbing the phone now. <laughs> we are a Calico former barn cat, and we are a thief. Ah, damn thieves. <laughs> you gotta love them. She steals models. Oh, no. <laughs> I was playing a Star Wars game with a buddy, and we, and we stepped over for lunch. So we're six feet away from the game. And we see her running. And that was her second stormtrooper that she stole to take to her nest. <laughs> we she caught her. Nest, six... <laughs> she had a little hiding spot where she took stormtroopers. That's hilarious. Kill them later. <laughs> just, just, just think about that. There's a cat stealing stormtroopers, but, <laughs> but yeah. The, so the the business thing is all about trying to find something that is hard to replicate, that is inconvenient to replicate, that is expensive. Pick. If you have money, use money as your competitive advantage. If you have knowledge, use knowledge as your competitive advantage. Uh, if you have skills, if you have personality. Uh, because the other thing is I, I also have a brand at conventions. I show up in a top hat, a custom vest, with a bow tie, yeah. pocket watch. I, I'm the magnet baron. I show up as the magnet baron. I love it. What was the influence for the magnet baron? You just came, you just pull it out of nowhere or was there? I was running this thing as magnet port before the magnet portal, like magnet port originally. Um, it wasn't a particularly interesting, it was not particularly inspiring. It was, you know, it's, it's a magnet port at the end of the day. It's, it's a port for magnets where you buy them. Fine. Um, I have been called a number of things uh, and I've been called magnet guy and I've been called the king of magnets and some, or um, some sort of like commodities baron. So I've been called a number of things, at which point you do a couple things. Which one sounds the best? Magnet King, Magnet Emperor, Magnet Guy, that one sounds okay, and then Magnet Baron. Um, at the end of the day, the one that rolled off the tongue is Magnet Baron, the one that fits with the whole American, uh, you know, Western expansion with, with commodities market, with all these things is Magnet Baron. That it, That is, you know, it's, it's a commodity at the end of the day. It's, it's a, it's a uh, you know, a bunch of rare, uh, it's a bunch of raw materials. I we talked about the geopolitical thing before. I, I'm very steeped into the coup in Myanmar because uh, that shut off the border between them and China. That that uh, jacked up the prices a few months ago of magnets because they had some trace elements they needed that was that was their primary source. So it caused some supply chain disruption. So, like it, it is very much the the magnet baron aspect of the old robber baron style thing of of, of the um, personality type and. It's kind of a required part of the job of, of knowing the raw material part of the industry and, and the political side. Hmm. I would have loved to have magnetguy.com, uh, but I believe that was fifteen or $20,000 at the time. And uh, I, frankly, Magnet Baron's way more fun than a bro behind a convention booth uh, who's the Magnet Guy. Hey, bro, the Magnet Guy. <laughs> I paid $15,000 to be the Magnet Guy. Eh? <laughs> yeah like it, it's it's both a sounds better and I've, I've been more or less called it for uh, since i started the business i want to say about four years five years ago i rebranded um so it was a um it's it's just some don't be afraid to rebrand come up with a generic name where we are starting a uh, a grip sock business actually right now in the midst of doing this uh so like think of hospital socks Oh, socks. Got it. Socks. Um, so grips on the bottom. 
except we've gotten them to gotten pretty little lace on them. So it's very cute little grip socks uh, or uh, cat faces or polka dots. So we have, we have a lot, we're launching a line of very cute uh, Pilates bar yoga. Now that's random. What, what was the inspiration for that? That would be my mother. Uh, so my mom actually started this and did nothing with it. And she sells a couple pairs a week right now on Etsy. So if you look for grips, G-R-I-P-Z, you should probably be able to find them or grips, uh, lace socks or something. I forget the name of it. Should be able to find them on Etsy. So she sells a few pairs a week. Uh, she has completely neglected it. Uh, if you order, they get shipped that day or next day. But she has done nothing to market it. She has done nothing to design new things. She has actually, take it back. She has a bunch of new designs. She just has done nothing to market it to justify buying more. So I came home and said, I'd like to take the business because you know, are, are you interested in me taking over the business and actually making the business? She goes, yes. And my dad goes, can I pay it to come out of my house? I want my space back. <laughs> so it, my mom's inspiration for that though, is that when she was working out, you're either working out barefoot in a you know gym with a bunch of other people, which is not sanitary because there's no way they can clean it that much, or you're working out with socks, which is slippery. Uh, so there were no cute grip socks that she was able to find. So we, you know, we're doing that. Uh, at the end of the day, the magnet thing was barely my idea. I just had uh, all you don't even think that you have a good idea. Like don't don't think that you have a good idea or don't think that you need a good idea. Just understand your customer base enough. Be close enough to your customer base, whether you are or your fiance and your mother are uh, close enough to the customer base to be able to pr help provide them with what they need and how they're going to find it and where they're going to see you. Uh, that That's the name of the game. It's finding, it, just listen. When someone tells you, I am frustrated with my product, fill in the blank there, it's a mad lib. Sit there and think about what could you do to make it better? Does it need magnets? Call me, please. <laughs> and then, you know, go forward with that. And the thing is, you're not going to hit it the first time. I'd be astonished. If you look through all these like crazy rich entrepreneurs, they all failed. Like they, they have all had some very interesting dramas in their life, some very interesting, some sad stories, running out of money, having their down moments. Like it, it takes a lot of bad ideas to make a good idea. And the thing is, once the, the critical point there is then just bailing on the bad ideas as early as possible. Fail early, fail quick, fail cheap. Hopefully. Well, that, that's the thing. That, that is actually, that's the entrepreneurship thing. That's the entrepreneurship goal at SC is like fail, fail quick, fail cheap, get it done. Don't, don't keep going. Don't keep, don't hang on to a losing idea. You're. That's hard not to do. Sometimes, you know, especially us entrepreneur types, you know, we get a hunch, we get attached, we have tough skin and we're going to make it happen, damn it. And so it is very hard for us to say, okay, cut cut it off, let it go when it's like just a little bit longer. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's the gambler's fallacy. Um, it's or sorry, the sunken cost fallacy. Sunk where, yeah, yeah, sunk cost fallacy where you've sunk so much into it that you're just a few more dollars. You. Your few more pulls of slot machine, your few more dollars of, of marketing away from making it big. And unfortunately, there's more, more often than we'd like to admit to ourselves, to anybody else, you're better off 
throwing it in the trash, starting over. Taking that extra few last dollars you have and starting something completely different. Or just buying yourself a beer, you know, letting recovering for a year or two. Right. It's, but the thing is, you put your heart and soul into it. To, to get successful, to get that far into that deep into it, you put your heart and soul. You, you've got thick skin to be able to take the blows, to, to take the failures. You know, what, whatever your coping mechanism is, it, whatever you mutter to yourself to pull you out, yourself out of a, uh, a trance about your failures. Um, and you move forward. You've got to do it. Otherwise, you know, you, you have steel glass and you're working on this unbreakable glass business that turns out that restaurants found a way to break your unbreakable glass after two and a half, two to two and a half years of working on it. That's right. That was the yours and Inyaki's business that you had yeah. that unbreakable that you had, yeah, unbreakable glass. Forgot about that. And, you know, take that glass, drop it off a two story building and tell me that that's going to break in a restaurant. No, no. I have all sorts of all sorts of thick skin things to say to you, but I think no is the most concise of them. Yeah. And then put them in a restaurant, put 150, 200 glasses of those in a restaurant because let's do a live test before we get a quarter million dollars of investor money and start promising things to clients because we're going to take pre-orders to get purchase order funding and get better uh, equity numbers and all that stuff. And you put it in a restaurant for a few months and... Um, yeah, it's the same thing as the other stuff. It was just better in the first few months, which is good because you get like great news in the first three months. It's like, yes. But then it turns out that physics is a bitch. And that these, that glass, yeah, glass has micro fractures every time it gets hit. And you'll see this in cups in your own house. I know way too much about glass. It's a whole like material science chemistry thing I was mentioning before to all y'all. Uh, every time you hit a glass, you weaken it just a little bit. Every time, just every hit, just a little bit more. To the point where uh, Constantine is taking a mixing bowl from the counter uh, after dinner and bonks a cup on the counter and with a silicone bottom on the cup, on the bowl. And I bonk the cup and splatter it without knocking it over. And we aren't talking, I'm not moving quickly. I move slowly so I don't break things. So we're talking a splat. So that's the physics working. That's why it worked so well for the first three months. It was great. It was doing amazing. And then you find out that it was actually doing really well because you just introduced new glasses into the population and they were stronger. Wow. So then, so, so, cause I remember you guys did win some, some money and whatnot. And then it, and it was that the point where you just decided to say, okay, this ain't going to work. Or... Yeah, Inyaki and I had a conversation, which you always have those conversations stressed out. I love you, Inyaki. I'm sorry. Uh, but you, those conversations of like, okay, take a glass right now and I want you to drop it. He's like, what if it breaks? I'm like, it's probably going to. So do it somewhere where you're willing to clean up some glass. <laughs> and he does it and it, you know, and, and basically like pretend to be a waiter really pretend to be a waiter don't don't do any of this like stationary drops that we are doing none of this like pseudo lab real put some water in it put some glass like put some ice in it drop it bam and it's one of those things that you, you know you're dropping a glass what, do you, what you know you're doing a live test you're not going to bring like ice and water and, and all that stuff and and then like you know do a quick waiter or waitress walk and drop it on stage that's just that's not a good way a good reliable way to do a live test so you, you know you do stationary drops because it's hard to do that live it's it's a, 
whatever the reason is that that's why you, you, we picked that, that's, those are our logical reasons. That was our testing. That was our logical testing. It wasn't terrible testing. But at the end of the day, we decided it was a good idea to put it in place first, which is why you do live tests in the wild world. It costs us $3,000 to do it, but saved us, you know, $250,000, $500,000 of investment money. Yeah. That, that's, you know, that, that was, was it $25 a glass to do that with, oh, with wow. the, uh, the, you know, spend $25 a glass that you're intending to sell for a buck or two eventually to test it out, lose the money for the customers, give them to free, for free. That's what we did. It's like, I'm gonna give these to you for free, but I get to come in and count the glasses. Hmm. That's it. That's all I want. You get, you get free cups for sick. You know, I, I, these are your glasses. This is, you know, $250 a glass is for free, but I get to come in. You can tell me when I can come in. I'll come in after hours, before, whatever you want, but I get to count them. That's all I need. Very, it, it's a live test. It's, it's a good business model test. Hmm. But yeah, no, we won all sorts of competitions. It, the, the competition thing is presenting. Remember that whole, I spent, you know, 10% of my time organizing the website. Right. Organizing the PowerPoint. Uh, actually, you would tell Yaki things all the time because he was, he's a good graphic designer. And he hated it. He, it drove him nuts. It pissed him <laughs> off to no end. I go, Yaki, you put too much on the PowerPoint. He, he's like, it looks good. I'm like, pretend you're presenting to me in the front row. He goes like, but then like we lose all this stuff. I'm like, we can't, nobody can, nobody will read numbers on a PowerPoint. They're waiting for us to tell the, the, them. Show them pictures. Yeah. Show them, show them, you know, a graph. Like, and when you put a graph on there, like you get like, you know, you, you get like the top of the graph is 10,000 units and the, the side of the graph is like, you know, 10, 15,000, whatever the graph numbers are, you get like one or two numbers on the page. If someone, when you switch slides, you get about five or 10 seconds for someone to read the slide. And that's all the folks that are giving the slide. They're not going to read. Don't read off your slides. So it could lose his mind. <laughs> it's like, put nothing on the slides. So, but the thing is then, then what you do is you then, give them enough information to make, to tell them what they need. And then at the end of it all, there's Q and A, and then they ask you follow-ups. So you tell them that this is, this is the strength increase in the projected uh, reduction in, in breakage. Uh, so that should, so we're going to cut a restaurant's costs by this much. And that's all you say for, for the, the, that part of it. And there's a lot of data built into a lot of numbers there that they'll ask and they'll dig through. They'll spend five or 10 minutes digging through the, Okay, so the strength increases, how do you get that? Uh, where's the breakage de decrease come from? And then how do you know that that breakage decrease, how do you know how, many, how much restaurants spend on, on their, uh, their glass every year? And it turns out there's like a relatively proportional percentage of revenue that restaurants spend on their glassware. We, we found it was like a particular number. It was relatively constant between restaurants. Hmm. Uh, and, and you start finding, and you only have to go through three or four restaurants of, of decent sizes to figure out that number. And it's like, oh, it was this much for this one, this much for this one, this much for this one. And, you know, the, the investors look at that and go like, that's frankly as much research as you need to do at this stage for, you know, market size. So it, it's very much a give, provide as concise as possible, no technicalities. I've, I've tried to avoid saying magnet sizes this whole time, other than to demonstrate how complicated you can make it. But, you know, you're not trying to make it complicated for an investor or for a customer. They don't want to know how complicated it is. They, they do, but they don't. They, they kind of understand, they, 
iPhones are simple, right? Your phone is, is simple. It just, you know, you touch it and you and it unlocks with your face or your finger, you know, but how many decades, how many hours, how many billions and trillions of dollars have gone into the development of the iPhone? Just this simple little thing you walk into Apple and you buy. Simplicity is profound. Yes. My English teacher in high school said something like that. Her uh, email signature said, I'm sorry I didn't, couldn't uh, write a more concise email. I ran out of time. <laughs> or, sorry, sorry I ran out, couldn't write a shorter email. I ran out of time. Yep. I can't remember what, what person said. If you give me an hour to talk... You know, I give me 20 minutes to prepare. If you give me uh, 10 minutes, you know, give me a day to pre prepare. If you give me five minutes, you know, a day and a half or whatever it is. So, the, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it is hard. Like we, we had uh, we had uh, pitches where we had like two minutes. Hmm. Those are hard. Yeah, that's quick. You got to. That's how uh, that's that is, you know, a minute over an elevator pitch. Uh, you've got like a paragraph. Yeah, you basically got to get their attention and then set it so they can ask you questions at that point. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. That, that's all you get. That, mm -hmm. that is the, who are we? Okay, cool. You guys aren't worth bringing out the next round. You guys are working on the next round. So here's five minutes to pitch. It's like, okay, we have two weeks. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it, that that's that is a lot of, if, if you want to be successful in this world, if you want it, you take this into corporate, by the way, uh, no one wants to read long emails. No one wants to read cold emails. I, even when I was an accountant, I had better response rates from the people I needed answers from than the people I replaced. I got in trouble for being too friendly and for putting smiley faces in there and being too personable in my emails huh. when I was talking to more or less superiors and demanding answers. And I'm like, well, if you want answers, you do what I do. If you want to maintain decorum, you have a, you know, a, a general ledger account, a more or less uh, a one or two year in accountant. So, so just past entry level, demanding from a controller who's 10 to 20 years into their career, answers. Right. Uh, no, no, you, you don't do that. And that's, that's, you know, I, you need to send them a short email. They're very busy. They don't really want to see your emails to start with because all the stuff you ask them about, you don't want to answer. They don't want to answer. They don't generally need to answer, but they're going to answer because someone's going to get mad at them and then they have to do it anyway, but nothing will really happen to them. So the least you can do is make it in, make them open up your emails because at least they're pleasant. They, they like you enough to open up your email, make it quick. And, and there are times when, when the bosses are like, we need more information. I'm like, I can't get more without burning that bridge. And they're like, what can you do to get more? And I'm like, this is, a, this is all the information we need. Frankly, it's more than we need. And if we really need information next month, getting this information now will cost us more than it's worth. And if you need more information down the line, you can just ask when you have a reason. Because right now you have no reason. Uh, and you know, there, there are people who had never spoken to corporate about their books. They, they didn't know who, they had never heard the person's voice in the last like four years that they had been hired. She called me, started asking me questions. Spent like two hours on the phone with her, going through her books with her. They had, they had never heard her voice.
Wow. <laughs> it's just, and crazy. I was the guy who got sent to an email remediation class for not being professional. I'm like, oh my email God, remediation. Yeah, that I is funny, man. I got to an email, sent to an email writing class. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I've email. never been good at conforming. I'm always, I, you know, I'm just too damn hard headed. I want to do shit my own way because. You know, I have my own experiences, and so I've bumped heads into pretty much every person I've ever worked for because they want, and it's like, hold on a second. If I'm doing what you say your way, then then my value is quashed. So the point of me and having value is bringing what I have to the table and how I see things. And so it's, um, now sometimes I'm wrong, and sometimes I should have done, I should have done it when I should have, when I did zag and whatnot, but... But there's definitely certain things that are are true. Like there's a reason people say paralysis by overanalysis, right? You have too many numbers, and when you're thinking about numbers and and you're you're doing computations, you're shutting off the decision making valve. So well, so you're exactly right. I think you don't need to have numbers. I think you need to have pictures because that is more correlated to your decision making portion of your brain supposedly if that's a thing and you know I've, I've been doing sales for a long time and I've done a lot of different kind of sales so uh, there's definitely certain nuances that are more conducive to making a sale and nuances that are more conducive into not making a sale that's for sure so and and this whole professional non-personable thing is not correct it's poppycock that's poppycock yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, when you want to look professional you act cold and and robotic when you want to be professional you act yourself you act you give you know it's i i deliver my customers what they need in a relatively flamboyant manner for what i sell but that is my profession is to make what i sell you know easy to find, easy to navigate, easy to determine what you need, what you want, what you could want, and make it as pleasant as possible. Because it's it's a lot, you open my site, you go through the magnet, there's a chart of all of those magnet sizes. It is, if, if numbers are intimidating, that chart can be intimidating. That is a chart of every single size of magnet that I have. There are lots. Mm. Uh, and, and going through that and making it pleasant to click through it, you know, that the pictures on the website need updating. But, you know, that's, that's the thing with small businesses. You never have enough time and money to redo everything, make everything look perfect. Right. Expect to redo everything three to five times, at, at least, you know, almost yearly. I've, I've redone my, uh, my magnet photos every one to two years because the first, I take my first ones myself. And obviously, I'm a great photographer. Ironically, I take decent photos because I just center the person's head in the photo and just click. And I get like six of them. And I don't tell them when to blink or not. They're like, should I can I blink yet? And I'm like, click, 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 click. Yes. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And you know, you just you that's all you need to do. And I'm looking at the surroundings more than the person because that's the actually the important part is is uh, where they are in the picture. So you can like lose sight on the face. The face is in focus, it's like whoops. And you take one picture, not twelve. You know, so I said, I take my own first pictures, which are garbage. Uh, and then I hire somebody to take pictures and he does a weird job, frankly. 
Um, and then I have someone else take a picture and we do it with, we have magnets next to pennies to compare them. And the pennies are dirty pennies basically because that was the cleanest penny we could find because nobody has pennies anymore. Um, and it doesn't really tell you much because the magnets are either too small, too big, and it's not precise enough. So, you know, moving on to the next one, it's, it's learn, adapt, and understand your, your job is to redo things you messed up yesterday that you thought were good. Your perfect plan. Uh, but it's, and also know that, that blind people aren't good photographers and you need to hire someone out for things that you cannot do. <laughs> I love it, man. You know, I could say here, we, we could talk pretty much all day. I don't think there's any question about that. And I do want to talk to you some more here, but I also want to, you know, people are listening to this and um, I want to be respectful of your time. And, you know, we all got other stuff that we need to do. So if somebody is going to reach out to you and they want to find your magnets or contact you for any reason, where would they go to do that? TheMagnetBaron.com. T-H-E-M-A-G-N-E-T. B-A-R-O-N.com. If you misspell Baron with two R's, I also own that domain. It should be forwarded shortly. So don't worry about how you spell it. If you can't find that, search the internet for Magnet Baron. I should come up first thing. Uh, if you want to contact me, it's info at the Magnet Baron or Constantine at themagnetbaron.com. Any questions, If frankly, about anything, small businesses. I, help all, I've, I have helped many people start eBay businesses for the sake of it. I, uh, I very much support the fact that small businesses are the backbone of this economy in the fact that it's hard to start. It's hard to take that first step because it's just so many unknowns. It's so scary. Everyone tells you you need everything perfect at first. No, no, it's, I'm still not perfect and I'm doing relatively well for myself as far as it were. Uh, but that's how you get a hold of me. It's ask me anything if you have, you know, if you have, if you have, a family member with uh, with the visual impairment. If you have a kid with one, you're concerned what the future is going to look like, or if you have a kid who's uh, deaf, my fiance is a teacher of the deaf. Uh, please reach out. We're happy to help. We're happy to, to point you in. And you know, it, it'll be fine. It it's not about their disability. The disability is not going to be the thing that holds your kid back. It, it's yours and their motivation to get through it. They will be fine. The entrepreneurship community is well over double the rate of dyslexia and blindness and deafness of the rest of the population mm. where there's a will there's a way i love it man i love it i did not know those numbers we have a different perspective on the world and people don't i get asked in interviews when i was back when i was interviewing if i can use a computer and mm -hmm. i'm applying for a financial analyst position wow and on my first thing on my uh, resume is an e-commerce business of a decade. That's the, one of the first questions that gets asked. And it's not insultingly ignorant. That was not their purpose. They just, they didn't have blind friends. They didn't know. Yeah, I totally get it because I was curious myself. I'm like, how, how the hell does he make this happen? You know? I, but, you know, that, that's the thing. You walk into an interview and interviewing in general is competitive. So you're somehow supposed to compete. And at the end of the day, when you're 14 years old and you can't get, you don't think you can get a job in a restaurant uh, or in fast food, so you can pay for your hobby, you're going to find a way to find discount Warhammer models and sell them and make money. Because if someone doesn't think you're worth it you, and you know you're worth something and you're going to prove it to them, that's just going to be the, the way you live your life. You have, it's, 
if, if you want it bad enough, they want it bad enough, they'll do it. You're the epitome of what this podcast is for. The Move Podcast and make a difference in other people's lives. Offer up your time, talent, and gifts. Find victory in the small things. You are appreciative of what you have and you're not letting any situation set you back. And E is encourage others. And so what you're doing is encouraging, is is so encouraging to people that whoever's out there listening to this that might not be able to hear or might not be able to see or might have some other issue that we all think you know is is a is a bad thing but at the end of the day we all have our own crosses to carry i mean dude if you weren't blind you'd be superman so there's got to be like an equilibrium like you you can't have all of the talents that you have and be able to see that would just not be fair for the rest of society you know so you got to have some kind of uh balancing act there <laughs> I, I always say it's dangerous it'd be dangerous if i get my sight back just be scared but well here's the other thing maybe i have most of that maybe i have the ability to just take the punches because of it maybe it's it's the adversity that that got me to the point where i can fail now there's nothing like running into a tree as an eight-year-old to teach humility absolutely nothing nothing close i've never found anything similar to an eight, 10, a 12, pick your age, running into a tree in front of his friends or a girl to teach humility. Mm. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, you know, failure, embarrassment. You don't have to embrace it, but you do have to, you know, move forward. Next, it's life is full of failure and embarrassing moments and how you handle yourself and how you succeed in spite of it is up to you. And as far as I can tell, the more people have failed, the stronger they are. I, the happiest people I know, the most successful people I know have some horrible pasts of misery, have some, most U.S. presidents have lost a parent or a child early on you don't it's if you want to be successful embrace your failures learn from sometimes you can't learn from them it's a loved one but be stronger for it learn from the ones that you can your mistakes move on from the ones you can't become a better person help somebody else how many people have helped me in my life i should not exist as i am i am blind running a rather complex logistics business on the internet. I've I nearly died more than a dozen times. I lost count at the age of 10. You know, the, there are so many people that have made me who I am, who I'm able to be, and all everything around me to support my ability to do this one way or another. Whether that's the, the teachers, the teacher, the visually impaired, the or, orientation and mobility instructor, or just every teacher along the way, or the entrepreneurship professors, or my parents, or pick anybody friends family others random people that have helped me who did not speak english when i've got off at the wrong stop in downtown los angeles and took a turn when i thought i knew where i was you know to just pick a point in your life and think about all the people who have helped you get there and remember that somebody else 
some blind guy is getting off of the wrong stop somewhere in downtown Los Angeles where he ought not be. Dude, I'm so glad that you decided to join me on this podcast, man. Like, I feel like there's so much insight. There's so much just, ah, Eureka, you know? I, I think it's great. So um, you definitely have a lot to um, offer. And so I'm, I'm ecstatic. And I guarantee people listening to this podcast are going to be like, wow. Because <laughs> that's how I feel, man. I was like, wow, this this is just amazing. And, you know, what can I do to make tomorrow better? Move. <laughs> yeah. Move, move, move. Just, just one foot in front of the other. If you can send one email today, it's with, with starting the sock business. I'm trying to get Ashley to do most of it. It's, it's send an email to a supplier. No response. Positively doesn't. Send another email this person contact one thing even a week just move forward little you don't go to the gym every day after new year's you go to the gym every day after you went to the gym for months every other week and then a week and then every couple of days and then you found a gym buddy and now you hold each other to it day by day step by step move that's it awesome man awesome Simple, but deceivingly complex and difficult. <laughs> but you can do it. It's possible. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you, Scotty. Scotty. I want to sign off. And do you have any last, I mean, dude, the last 15 minutes of what came out of your mouth is great advice. But if you could, do you have any last, last comments that, um, that you want to throw out there? Keep it simple. Keep the eye on tomorrow. Keep your one eye open on tomorrow, one eye open on today. Keep it all simple. Don't overcomplicate things. Don't overcomplicate your life. Simplicity is hard and valuable. Ain't that the, ain't that the truth? <laughs> all right. Well, Constantine. Thank you again for your time and um, everybody listening out there in podcast land. I love you, but I'm going to have to leave you and sign on next time and have a great day.